China tech, advertising, creativity, platforms, and the intersection of it all. Join us each session for timely and relevant discussions on all China marketing. We will be joined by an entire spectrum of China experts. Coming to you directly and live from the city of Shanghai, I'm Bryce Wang, And I'm Ali Kazmi. Today's episode, Luxury and Data. In today's episode, we have Mike Zhu, Managing Director of Artifact China, and Serena Shen, also at Artifact as a Senior Director. Mike has been attached to the data life his entire career, starting with uh, working with CarMax, which is a used and new car company, with the economics of cars by state and city in the U.S. After that, he spent several years running e-commerce and data services for some of the largest advertisers in China. And Serena, who drives a new BMW 4 Series Coupe, a coupe or a coupe, which one do you call it? Coupe. It's a coupe. Yeah, that's an American way of saying it. How's that car, Serena? Fabulous. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And before uh, onboarding on to Artifact, spent several years in the fast fashion industry and is intimately familiar with what makes luxury tick in China. So welcome, Mike and Serena. Thank Hi. you, Bryce. Thank you, Ali. So it's the end of the year, or close to the end of the year, and luxury has as one of the world's best comeback stories in China. For a while there, it was touch and go because with COVID, people thought that the luxury business was going to flounder. Great percentage of Chinese customers travel abroad and go to right. Hong Kong or France to get their luxury goods. So people thought without those markets, where are they going to buy luxury? But That's right. it didn't seem to make much of an impact. That was one of the conversations that I remember having with Mike a couple of months ago, and we talked about some of the colleagues that had left us um, back when we worked together. Actually, all three of us used to work together not so long ago. So, Serena, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? So, a little bit of background about me. Uh, I've been working in the fashion luxury industry for, for uh, many years. Uh, no matter which side I'm working for, agency or brand. So I'm um, maybe because I'm like a really like fashion luxury embracer. So that's why all the cases I'm doing is in that industry because I can feel the empathy about what female consumers are looking for. That's easier for me. And I grow up from a very traditional PR background in Ogilvy. Um, but however, when digital is becoming very desirable eight years ago, I luckily got opportunities to explore the mystery uh, of digital uh, involved in social media, e-commerce, CRM. Uh, and a few weeks ago, actually, I was still working for a premium fashion brand, a female fashion brand, which is um, a new brand under HM Group. I mean, it's new just to come to China, but global-wise, it's not new. Um, I'm, a, I'm a true believer in data and tech because I think it, this is no longer the period that um, any marketing decisions should just uh, be purely emotional. I mean, everything has to be proved by sales, by data, and then um, it has to be very business crucial and revenue uh, growth driven. So ultimately, you need to see the valuable and traceable results from any penny you're spending on. I just have a general question. Usually, when, when I was running an agency, especially a data agency, we were the training ground for every client regarding doing data marketing. They would start at Wonderman, 
And then after a few years, we, they would go to IHG group, car companies. Everyone graduated from Wonderman Dashre. So I'm just curious to find out why, Serena, you came back to an agency. You've, you've, you've gone, you were at agency, and then you went to the client, now you're back again. It's kind of, it's, I'm very happy to hear that, by the way. I'm just wondering why you made that choice. Frankly speaking, I think uh, if you work too long in brand side, you feel like you are not learning so much things about the trend yeah, or about the new information. I remember having conversations with some clients and they keep on reminding, or they, they've told agencies a number of times that they feel that they know a lot more than their agency partners do. That's what I think, that's what I always told too, because they're closer to the data, right? Yes, they, they know a lot about, uh, they know a lot more about the brand, about that industry, but they don't really know what's going on outside of the brand. Mike, you quickly introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. We know that you used to work at CarMax, but uh, maybe some other things you can say. Sure. Uh, so, um, you know, like I always fascinated with, uh, with marketing. I think uh, the key of marketing is really influence consumers change their behavior, right? And if you think about it, uh, there's an art piece of it and there's a science piece of it. And it's a, it's a real drive for me. It is how to integrate the science into other marketing and have been doing it for the last 15 years. And I start with the COMEX in, in, the, in, the, in the States. Um, and also, uh, we've been, I've been working in China for about 11 years and uh, working across different type of agencies, right? From media, e-commerce, digital, creative, and then data. But in the end, it's always about data, data into marketing, right? So don't forget, um, Human behavior is unpredictable, but if you look at a large group by number, it could be predicted in somehow. So I'm super excited, and then and I, I do believe an artifact is a, is a great place to integrate data into marketing. Maybe this is a, a bigger question. Is China too data focused? Are we forgetting about the brand? Is it too much about data analytics? Because I think sometimes that some brands oftentimes are they're very strong at execution, they're able to deliver amazing performance results, but then they may not necessarily drive an emotional connection with their customers. Do you think that there's too much data? Does that get in the way of driving that human connection that brands have? And that's a great question, huh, Bryce. And I think it doesn't conflict uh, what um, brands is driving emotion and what is the application with data. And I think you know it requires piece of art to, in the end, really influence the consumer, whether their mind, their heart, or their fingers, right? However, the, the power of the data, it is enhanced in somehow, also guiding it, right? You have to understand what really drives consumer uh, emotion change, what really influences their decision. I think there should be a balance needs to be striked. So I wouldn't say it's not too much data or too much art, it should be a a good integration on that. So today is really all about luxury, right? Luxury and the and how it's attached to data. And luxury, a lot of times, it's you know, it's it's a very emotional purchase, right? It's based on you know what you think that that product, that brand stands for. How do you attach data to luxury? I give a, a simple example, right? Let's say you are really interested in the LV bag in Shanghai, and then you have all the excitement, and you walk in the store. The product's not there. What happened? Because LV did not predict such a surge of demand of, a, of this bag 
in the store. So they, they do not have enough inventory where the data can play says, okay, based on the trend we see, we're able to predict the product demand for their store, right? So that's a mix of uh, data and art, and therefore, you know, it's quite important uh, to think that way. I mean, it sounds like there's two sides to that coin, right? On the one hand, you're saying, you know, luxury is all about desire, right? In the absence of a product, that just makes that product that much more desirable. But on the other hand, you're also saying that, you know, because it's luxury and someone that's able to pay premium for that product, you want to make sure that it's available at that retail store. Um, what of the two, which of the two is more important? Is it, you know, the... the the fact that that product isn't, um, you know, that it's scarce or that it needs to be made available. Because I have that conversation with clients and scarcity seems to tip the balance on that one. Um, I think that's probably case by case, right? And because the scarcity is in the mind of consumer. So it is a perception of a scarcity. So that means consumer says this product is not available to everybody. Only few of us can own it. Therefore, it's a is a limited and, and exclusive to me, but it's to me, I still own it, right? So one is a perception, one is availability. So I think and that needs to be combined, and then that, I think, is a secret of success of a, of a luxury. Otherwise, luxury industry cannot grow so fast. Serena, give us a bit of context. What are we talking about here? I mean, when we talk about luxury, right, and we've talked about the fact that it's rebounded um, um, quite successfully. Um, it's a 300 billion euro market. It's growing double digits, digits year on year. Everyone's salivating over this market. Um, seems like you don't really need all that data. I, I just, I just, you know, what are we talking about here? Yes, I totally agree with you that China has a huge potential and from all the report that you can see China will become the biggest luxury market by 2025. But the things like, um, and also the generation that contribute the most actually is Gen Z. I mean, the, the growing up like contribution. Uh, they are very empowered. They willing to pay for premiums. Uh, but however, they're also very unpredictable. They have a lot of like avenues to get different information. Let's put that into context. So Gen Z is what age to what age? Uh, they born right after 1995. So right now, Gen Z is contributing 13% in China luxury market. And then by 2025, they will contribute 30%. So that is a huge potential that's driving the luxury market. Yeah. So I mean, by that percentage, yeah, I'm not saying like they are the main purchaser, but okay. they are the new opportunities. Hey, when we talk about luxury, what are we talking about? We're talking about cars. We're talking about perfumes. We're talking about bags. We're I know, talking I about always, clothes. I always struggle with that as well. I, I, even even my students will say, "Oh, uh, Apple is luxury, isn't it? Is it is it a luxury product?" What do you think, Mike? I think there's two answers for that question, right? One is more philosophical. The so philosophical question will be luxury is into the individual. It could be anything, right? So that's something that you really truly enjoy, that could be luxury. But in the, in the, the second answer will be is more of a, a business answer. It will be luxury is defined by um, will be expensive product, hard to afford, and then it's belong to a few. So two answers for that. If I were a mainstream brand, could I essentially offer luxury products uh, at very high prices and enter the market in that way, 
the reason for my question is that I find that now in China, a lot of the what we call mainstream or premium brands are now moving into the luxury space in terms of their design, their limited edition products. Uh, it seems that the luxury market is being more crowded than ever before. How, how does how does a luxury brand maintain itself? Is the barriers to entry fairly easy for mainstream brands to be able to enter into the luxury category? I think uh, the luxury market, the luxury brands, how they defend themselves is, I think, number one, it is uh, the brand power, right? So brand, it is a perception of a consumer of that brand, how, how premium, how luxury it is. If you're a mainstream brand, it's very difficult to convince the mass market that you are going to the luxury market. That's number one. Number two, we do believe luxury brands are always in the front runner of the uh, ultimate experience to the consumers. So I think the experience provided to the consumer is hard to replace rather than just a simple, well-designed, expensive product. Given the fact that the experience now is a digital one in China, how can luxury brands distinguish themselves from other mainstream brands? If you think about it, everyone can pretty much deliver the same level of experience. How does a luxury brand deliver a unique experience that other brands cannot? I think I probably can give you an example about how um, LV is, deliver is delivering the very unique luxury experience on digital. So basically, um, they are having a service that is one-to-one -one service, live streaming service on mini program. But that service is not open to the public. That service is, is based on your purchase power. So that is only open to VIP. And then, oh, interesting. So it's like an exclusive service, exclusive on, the, on, service. On, yeah. on the WeChat mini program. Yes. Are yes. You, are you, do you have access to that service? No, I'm not in that high spending level yet. Just checking. Yet. 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 <laughs> yet. Not, yeah, not yet. Okay, so I, I think this is definitely giving a very premium fitting to all the consumers that you know who are LV lover and they feel like anytime anywhere I can just uh, you know like access to the sales associate and having a live streaming Gucci actually is doing something different than LV they are having a one-to-one -one live streaming open to the whole public which I actually tried so basically when they're having the new product launched and then they will put that new product into the live streaming part and saying you can make a reservation with the one-to-one -one live streaming service. And then the sales force will you know, just wear the back for you and then uh, explain how that looks like. That is really like giving you the full understanding of this new product, and then also explain why this is like uh, you know on the trend, etc. And uh, somehow she can also compare the different products if you wanna have a look at. So it's it's a really like live streaming show, and then after that service, she will tell you, okay, if you want to order, I can order for you right now. But if you want to do the store pickup, uh, where is the nearest store that in your neighborhood? You can just pick up directly. So you think over time that the Western luxury brands have really learned how to deliver this in China much better than before. Mm, I, I think I think luxury brands has. Um, Realize that digital, those like innovation, is very important to the to deliver the experience. I mean, um, uh, 
relatively speaking, luxury brands are the very late embracer to the e-commerce because when FMCG, when all that like those like uh, other category has already do e-commerce, I mean luxury brands are hesitated to, you know, like going to Tmall, going to mini program selling products. But nowadays you can you can see they are having a lot of different experience, very innovative one that no matter from online or offline and providing the omni literally like seamless omni channel experience they're very good at that can you explain what you mean by omni channel experience in context of this category and specifically to china yeah so make a very simple example that uh you brought something online and then you wanna you wanna order that but you can you, you don't wanna like uh, having that delivered to your home so you can just pick up in some specific store or you can make a reservation on digital platform saying specifically the product you want to browse in store and by which time and even you can choose the the social the, the sales associate to you know serve for you so that is very simple you can choose which salesperson serves you well, I guess that if you have seems a name. to be important in yeah, luxury, if right? Yeah, you have a name, yeah. And then, uh, so that is one example. And another one is um, another, you know, luxury brand. They're offering the cross-border uh, service. So they are giving all the price or the product that you can explore in different countries. And then you can also add that into your calendar and which store you want to go. So that calendar will just pop up on the day that you are traveling there. And then meanwhile, that brand is also collecting the data from those, you know, Chinese consumers who are doing the cross-border shopping behavior. So how do you collect? So you're saying that if you're a Chinese customer um, and you want to buy an LV bag and there's availability of that bag in a certain market, then you're alerted of that bag's availability in that market and there's someone in that market to serve you to purchase that product on your behalf. When you are in that market, Yes, you can do that. And Hence, you can also compare the price. Hence the power of data. Because if you think about it, now, uh, as we know, the luxury moving to digital space is a bit more beyond the traditional channels. And digital experience requires the data, deep understanding of data, collection, storage, process, and activate against the data. So what Serena just mentioned earlier, you, know, you have to understand the individual level of the data to, to say, this customer will be there for that time, for the interest of that product, and, the, and that person wants their sales associate to serve that customer. I do see like a luxury and embrace the technology uh, like very quickly because everyone's talking about NFT, metaverse these days. So if you, I mean like actually non-brand knows like what you know metaverse actually is, but then luxury brands are really trying so hard. I mean if you look at the roadmap from 2017 till right now, you can see a lot of luxury players already you know like um, trying the NFT product and some of them even enter into the metaverse like uh, uh, area for example Balenciaga and uh, you know like uh, those like uh, uh, big uh, luxury players I think one of the reason they're doing that um, it's it's not like uh, how much revenue you can generate from that tech 
it's a very long-term investment. But however, they wanted to be a pioneer in those young generation mind. So they, they just want to try the new things and getting there and showing that they are very open-minded. They're not traditional anymore. They are, you know, learning how to get involved with young generation. I think that is also why luxury brands are strive to use new technology or embrace data to showing that, okay, they're no longer traditional. Who do you think is doing it well? If you, Mike and Serena, if you had to rank the most innovative luxury brands in China now, who would be at the top of the list? Who would be the top three? This is going to be a very difficult question. And I think uh, uh, maybe we do as a group. Uh, these, are, these are big groups um, you know, in, in globally and deliver luxury experience, luxury product, right? LVMH, Kering, Richmond, and a few others, right? Hermes and uh, Chanel. And I do believe as a group, LVMH is on the front runner to really innovate at a faster speed. I'm not saying it will apply to every single brand under the group, but some brands are doing well, and some brands are learning or like are dragging by the group to deliver a better experience. So for the major groups, I think LVMH is doing better, and then probably the result shows as well. What local brands do you think are within the luxury or let's say up and coming luxury sector? Now, I always tell my students that Mao Tai is a luxury brand in China. Uh, it has high price, scarcity. I don't know uh, if it delivers the customer experience. It's, one of, it's always ranked as the top brand in China. Uh, it certainly hasn't produced a lot of amazing innovation. It's pretty much the same. It's consistent through years and years. Can you guys think of any Chinese brands that, that would fit into this category? Or you still think they have a ways to go? So as a personal opinion, and maybe Serena can add, I think Chinese brands still have a long way to go to be the luxury players whether it's in China or globally. I think Malta is an exception. Um, we do, I do think Malta is not so much of a luxury product. Malta is, a, I would say, a, is a, a currency. I think it's a, it's a currency that is a, it is a, can be used in a lot of ways. And it is a, it is a state-owned company. And I do believe it's a way, it's not playing by the market uh, rules. What do you think, Serena? Any brands that stand out to you? I, I agree with Mike that uh, Chinese brand has a long way to go in local market and also globally. I couldn't think any. I, I couldn't think about any brand that is China driven, like luxury. Yeah, like uh, born here. But I can think about a lot of premium brand, like uh, come from China. Yeah, not luxury. Maybe I add one more thing on, yeah, on the on the on the Chinese side. Because a lot of times, uh, you know, we will take what we see as a right. criteria for the luxury. For example, would be the, the product design, the color, uh, what you see in the store, so how the sales associate dress. But this is uh, outside. As we see, the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg is only 10%. So 90% is below the surface. So it has to come from the founder's DNA, the attitude to life, your culture influence. Right? So we treat um, luxury. It's a, a little bit more philosophical to build a luxury brand. I think in this case, um, the, the Chinese brands still have a long way to go. One question I had for Serena about the role of retail. How important is it? The reason I'm asking is because there are obviously a lot of, even in Shanghai, there's a lot of shopping malls uh, that are frankly luxury shopping malls that are empty. There's nobody in there. They're very quiet. I wonder 
in this context of new retail and digital connections and how people are shopping now, what's the role of a retail shop for a luxury brand? Is it still important to have one? Is it necessary? Yes, I think it is so very necessary because luxury is all about a prestige. It's about the feeling that you have, that you feel like you're a premium. And uh, to have a retail store, you know, like uh, definitely you can give the most direct feeling to consumers. How we present and what is our brand value and then you can touch, you can feel the product. So I think uh, if you look at retail, still, I mean, retail is the biggest channel that to contribute luxury market. But however, online is also uh, growing up. So I think um, for luxury players, uh, retail is, you can see that as an experience center, that having the new acquisition and increase the conversion and having the, you know, like a true or authentic experience. Yeah, so, so I think it is still very important for a luxury brand as um, to telling the story. So a round of questions for everyone. So the Prada campaign, right? The the Prada wet market campaign, I'll call it that because that's what it was oh, for yeah. me. Um, and, and I think it was tongue-in-cheek as well, and maybe maybe they were uh, poking fun at, uh, or do we think that they were poking fun at Chinese consumers that, that, that find it really inexpensive to buy luxury today? Um, I think uh, for me it's a hard choice to make. Uh, I do believe uh, doing that campaign it demonstrates the attitude of the brand that luxury could be in your everyday life. I think that idea is, uh, is delivered. And at the same time, you know, association with a wet market, I do, I do, because what Ali described in the airport, it could be the negative association. That is, uh, it could be very messy, crowded, uh, not very exclusive. So there's two sides of a coin. And uh, personally, and based on my friend's feedback, I do think the first one probably wins in this case. That is, luxury could be in your everyday life, and Prada is behind it. What do you think about it, Serena? I I think from the effect that they they generated. See, everyone is talking about that campaign, so that is successful to me because everyone is talking about that. So if you look at the luxury players, so many campaigns they are throwing every year. But do consumers remember anyone? So Prada is the one that makes you feel, oh, I remember they're doing something with a web market. This is a very innovative way to brand this, you know, like uh, to, to do the branding. Um, and also, I mean, they probably don't want to generate any sales from the campaign directly. But however, they have been really buzzword. I mean, like everyone's talking about that, have a lot of awareness. So, I mean, eventually, they just want to have the top of mind, I mean, for consumers. So I think Prada did it. Mike, I got a question for you. Uh, there was something called Double Eleven uh, a few weeks ago. I don't know if you've heard about that. Singles Day, it's a popular thing in China. Uh, <laughs> um, is this really good for luxury? Because I'm kind of thinking it's not. I'm thinking that this is, a, this is an opportunity to sell cheap shit. It's not really a, a luxury event. Or is this good for luxury? Well, um, to answer the question, we need to trace back the origin of uh, W11. Why W11 exists? If you think about it, 11 years ago, the online e-commerce um, penetration in China was not very high. And also, uh, November is a low season. So you have to encourage consumers to shop online, build the behavior. And what is the most uh, effective way? By uh, offering lower price. So therefore, W11 become very popular. I think after 11 years, the job is done. The mission is complete. 
And China is already has the highest penetration of e-commerce, and, and most people will go online and shopping, right? So in the context of this, and for the luxury brand, um, if luxury brands still want to encourage consumers to shop online, if that's the right thing to do, another debate. If that's objective, leveraging W11 is still a good way to do it because you, it tells a message, consumers, you can go online, purchase a luxury, and then you will enjoy the same experience. Right? So it's not about discounting, selling lower price on W11, but uh, encourage consumer to explore online experience. So that, that's the objective. I think that will be a good event to participate. Now for the last part, this, so this is what we call the A-B test. So if, for, everyone, for anyone that doesn't know, A stands for Ali, B stands for Bryce, and it's really just a shotgun firing um, of questions. Um, and uh, it actually might not be in the, in, the, in the question sheet over there, but I'm going to ask Mike a question first, and I'll ask Serena first thing that comes to your mind. All right, Mike, Gucci or Prada? Gucci. Serena, leather or pleather? Pleather. Like mini program brand apps. Mini program. Serena, party or after party? After party. Like discount or full price? Full price. Drive or DD? Drive. Celebrity or no celebrity? No celebrity. C luxury or E luxury? E luxury. Groups or maisons? Maisons. Reality or virtual reality? Reality. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a very enlightening podcast. Serena Sen and Mike Zhu from Artifact China. And thank you for joining us today's episode. And join us next week for another exciting episode of Shanghai Zan, when we'll be investigating the opposite spectrum of luxury and talk about sustainability. And until then, have a great day. Thank you.